welcome to Waiting for Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. From Wellington, New Zealand, I'm Dave Wood, and joining me from Devon, England, is Dave Knott. Okay, so this week we are less than a week now away from WWDC, and I thought to kick off this show, we could talk a little bit about what we like about Xcode and kind of the state of Swift and iOS development itself right now. Um, probably we will end up talking about some of what we don't like within that as well. I think that's a natural kind of thing. It's easy to talk about what you don't like too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then probably I think we will go into talking about where we would like to see things go next. You know, like what do we think is going to be coming and what sort of things would we really like to sort of see sort of what, what, what would we wish for next week on the magical keynotes and everything else? Um, so to kick this off, getting into kind of what I like today about Xcode itself, um, aside from having a crash-free day, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which happens more often than I, I would like, uh, uh, the, the crash days happen more often than I would like. Yeah, I think these days it feels like Swift is pretty mature. Like the, the migration and the upgrade from Xcode 8 to Xcode 9 and Swift 3 to Swift 4 uh, last year that was a lot less painful than it was the, the year before with Swift 2 to 3. Um, so that's that's awesome. Actually, for me, I sort of feel like uh, writing apps in Swift 4 feels pretty streamlined in a lot of ways now compared to how Swift 2 felt. Uh, the sort of grand kind of renaming of things um, across the different uh, parts of the, the SDK and all the frameworks, that kind of makes things feel quite natural. There's still bits to be done there, you know, like, I mean, we talked about the other week, we talked about NS attributed string and things like that sort of lurking and kind of showing some of the past. Um, But yeah, Swift itself and developing in Swift 4 um, combined with with Xcode as an IDE itself, I feel works really quite nice these days. Um, So yeah, that's definitely in the the good things sort of pile for me was it um, was it last year that um they introduced uh, like a dual compiler so you could do 3.2 and 4 in the same app yes and you could mix and match yes whereas the year before is when it went two to three and that was really painful yes exactly so it, it was much less of a hard upgrade um to sort of take an older source source base one that was in swift 3 uh you just have to get it to swift 3.2 make sure that it's compatible with there um and then Xcode 9 picks it straight up. So I think for one project that I was working on, I had to sort of do get it to Swift 3.2 in Xcode 8 because that was easier than having loads of stuff trying to tell me to to shift this and do that. Um, and then once it was working there, boot it up in Xcode 9. And all of the suggestions that it tells you to do to sort of upgrade the project were, in that circumstance, they weren't harmful. Um, I sort of checked each thing as it was going along and it was like, yep, okay, that seems sensible. That seems legit. Okay, that actually now warns me about a load more things that I never used to get warned about. So, okay, I don't like the amber messages and I'm going to have to fix all those things, but it's not a damaging thing. You know, I'm not left with, I'm not left with code that doesn't compile, yeah. uh, which was what happened before. So yeah, that's something I really loved last year and I want to see that happen again this year. And I hope that they actually keep the Swift 3.2 compatibility kind of hanging around as well in some fashion. So rather than um, like a, I, a dual compiler, we'll get like a triple compiler this year. 
So yeah, exactly. 3.24 um, and presumably 5. Yeah, or even, you know, it's 4 and 5, but there's actually um, the the automatic kind of upgrade and, and importer that's there that sort of helps you upgrade your project. Um, could guide you really nicely, sort of from 3.2 to 4. Um, Swift 2 to 3, there was that, but it, I don't remember it working well enough for me. I had a project that I tried to sort of run everything automatically and still had loads to fix. Yeah, I lost a day to that basically yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't mind if it doesn't compile 3.2 anymore you know i understand stuff you know swift is a moving target still um in a lot of ways but as smooth as possible please and a repeat of last year from 3.2 to 4 for me would be great beyond that sort of thinking about other stuff that works kind of really well and really nice um i talk about storyboards versus programmatic um sort of layout and view instantiation quite a lot but <laughs> interface builder is really nice i want to use interface builder a lot more than i ever do the reason i don't is because it doesn't give me manually editable um code so i can't just use it to generate the code that that instantiates my views i, I really wish that interface builder gave me something like that and you know maybe that's down the line maybe that's this sort of new marzipan um or whatever that is, you know. So you're thinking like right-click on a storyboard file and sort of like click to view source or something like that? Yeah, so if it did something like that, you know, I'd be using it a lot more. And uh, But I think it's fair to say that Interface Builder as it stands uh, for, you know, just using it is really nice. And I can see why, you know, it's a good environment for an awful lot of people. Um, I just think it falls over if you're trying to use version control in Teams and all of those sort of problems. So... You know, the company I'm at at the moment, we don't use it. And actually, I've moved away from using it in my own solo stuff as well. IB is is nice, but... <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so hopefully maybe we'll see something kind of develop with that. Um, I, I th- Like I say, I think it's tied to the sort of story around um, whatever's going on with, with Marzipan and this sort of, um, is it a declarative control um, yeah. API? Yeah I, yeah, I guess any major shifts that we sort of would like slash expect are likely to coincide with that i would imagine but you know yeah who knows (laughs) moving on through my my short little list of things that i think are awesome um (laughs) what does that say (laughs) things i like a very short list (laughs) (laughs) off the top of my head come on um accessibility I i think that the way Apple has, has kind of approached accessibility and things like being able to add labels to to views and that sort of stuff, um, you know, that, that then ab- enables things like voiceover and those sort of technologies. I think that's actually quite easy to use. Um, I think developers are, less, are left with less and less of an excuse not to kind of do it. That can't be a bad thing, can it? No, no, not at all. So I, I think that's pretty awesome. And... I think dynamic text is also pretty awesome as well. And the the support for that has improved over the last couple of iOS versions as well. So if you're supporting dynamic text and you're just using system fonts, I think it's actually really super easy now to, to just turn that stuff on. You know, and, and then when the user has larger or smaller text, whatever their preference is, you know, everything just resizes. Um, and I think it's it's a lot easier than it was a couple of iOS versions back. You know, iOS 9 bits were there, but you still had to respond to certain um, notifications. So when the users changed the settings and that sort of stuff to sort of switch the components on. 
So, yeah, I, I sort of feel like that's in a better space. And there were some additions with iOS 11 for custom fonts as well. That uh, I think that makes stuff easier for having custom fonts that, that respond as well. So I think that's in a good space. And I'd like to see that kind of get even more of this sort of incremental improvement. Okay, a couple of other bits. Um, getting quite niche now in terms of like uh, development and, and that side of stuff. But I think that Grand, uh, Grand Central Dispatch and things like Dispatch Q are in a lot better places than they used to be. You know, actually like that sort of creating queues and sending things asynchronously to them and that sort of stuff. The syntax around that has got a lot nicer and kind of in combination with that stuff like block syntax is actually a lot nicer now. I think these things can probably always be kind of improved and, and simplified and I wouldn't like to say that they're done, but they feel a lot more done than they did to me um, in sort of Swift 1, Swift 2 kind of time. So, yeah, I, I think they're things I actually quite like these days, you know, like spinning up a, a queue and, and chucking stuff into it is is really easy, actually, like compared to how I remember it being a while ago. Um, it, it just feels quite natural now. And I don't know how much of this is actually, I've just gotten more used to things over time. You know, I've become a better developer or whatever's going on there. There's, there's always some potential for that. Um, <clears throat> but I remember that there's a website um, for Objective-C that is, I can't really repeat it on the show uh, because of the word it uses at the beginning, but it's uh, effing block syntax.com. <laughs> um which is a bit of a testament as to how nice block syntax wasn't back on Objective-C days. So yeah, for, for me, I've not had to hit that site up any time recently. And I think that's a bit of a testament to uh, to how much better the syntax is for me, in terms, certainly in the way I approach it um, in, in Swift. So yeah, block syntax is, is nicer and I like that. And that's that's something I think is is kind of almost a done deal for me on the platform today. Small bits, but I think it's important because it's important to kind of review what you actually like because it's so easy to be so critical. You know what I mean? like Especially on a I podcast. Could, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I could run a laundry list of all the stuff I hate, you know, like compile times, especially when you've got like um, so many libraries in and, and stuff like React on the go or whatever, you know, like that. there's a whole list of stuff that, that is obstructive to me as a developer and I kind of want to see Apple sort those things out too of course um but I think there's still cool things going on and you know I mean not not least of which like the power some of the the um different frameworks actually give us as well you know stuff like um AR kit last year I think that's that's super awesome and things like the uh, uh core vision core ml frameworks as well you know, I mean, you can use these things now to, to do things like barcode scanning and other sorts of recognition and set stuff up that a few years ago was pretty complicated to do. Yeah. And and we're getting this stuff like for free as well, which is quite an important point as well, I think. I think it was like a, I haven't watched it, but there, on, there was a thing on Planet of the Apps where uh, one person had like, um, I think it was something like AR kit and one of the I guess like the mentor people were like, oh yeah, you, you you could sell this to other developers. And then like within months, Apple came out of ARKit completely for free. <laughs> so yeah. the fact that it's quite important to remember, like, you know, a lot of this stuff we just get given for free and that is basically free opportunities to create amazing apps. I think we need to be super grateful for that. 
it's easy to become just accustomed to it, but it's, it's important to remember, I think. All right, then. So let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about what we'd like to see. Um, so, number one on your list, Dave. What do you want to see? Uh, I don't know if it's number one on my list, but um, something here in terms of um, have you come across the library called Lottie? Mm, no. Uh, okay, it's it's a library that enables After Effects animations to be used natively. So if the animation has got um, just vector animations that are not too complicated then Lottie uh, can convert that down into uh, core graphics animations. So you just have to submit the After Effects file to the library, and then you can run those animations natively in the app. Mm. And I think there's there's a version for Android as well, so it means you can kind of use these these animated components. Um, and it got me to thinking, this is, this is really quite cool, but I think what's missing for me is is that I would actually like to be able to have an animation tool inside Xcode uh, for these sort of things. So if I could have it, if that was coming, um, yeah, something within Xcode or another tool that lets me sort of do, have control over animations, um, whether that's, you know, UI view animations or core graphics animations, I don't really mind, but something that is powerful enough to sort of give me, give me some of that control over animations and then deliver and use them within the app uh because you know laying out some of this stuff manually in code actually is quite cumbersome after a point and you know when you start talking about needing needing it doing in after effects and then having this library in the middle and and all of that it's really powerful and it's awesome if you've got a design team that can kick out after effects files um but as an indie developer i'd love to be able to just spin up another view in xcode and kind of play with my animations and then bring them back into the app so that's a bit out there a bit bit sort of random <laughs> yeah that wasn't what i was expecting you to say but that does sound quite <laughs> cool <laughs> um yeah i, I don't know I, I, like i say i think i think lottie is really awesome it's just that me as a developer um doing solo projects i, I don't want to have to pay for after effects and i don't want to have to go deep into a tool that i'm not used to yeah that's fair enough so, uh, yeah um so I'd like to see something come into into Xcode for that. And another one that's, that's kind of a bit fringe as well, I guess, but um, I like using vector assets. And I, I, the way to do that at the moment is actually exporting a PDF and then yeah. bringing that asset into the project. Um, I'd like to see support for SVG. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be very cool. In the yeah. same way that like when I work on the web, I'll use SVG for stuff. Um, yeah, that'd be I'd be well up for that. <laughs> That'd be really cool. <laughs> I mean, I might be wrong. I don't know about the intricacies of PDF as a format and, and, and how it presents vector information, but SVG sort of feels like the proper format to be using for this sort of stuff. It's just XML. You know, you can actually almost pass it by eye if you open it in, in an editor. Yeah. I'd, I'd feel happier with that. I suspect as well that uh, PDFs are kind of compiled and I think um, inversion control svgs again might lend themselves nicer to sort of you know small iterations and tweaks and then you can just commit those bits back so yeah that that could be quite cool how about you dave i'm sort of going through my, my random little list but, uh, <laughs> do you have anything that's sort of burning um the biggest one for me i think is watch os i feel i okay. feel the dev tools could get a lot better here i mean i, I still think a poor old marco with overcast where people were uninstalling his watchOS app just so they could change the volume using the crown 
yes. you know, via the system's now playing screen. I mean, I did it as well. I felt kind, I of, bad. Did. Felt kind of bad for him at the time. I was like, sorry, Marco, it's got to go. But, you know, <laughs> I understand it's not your fault. <laughs> yep. And it just feels like third-party developers are kind of like second-class citizens on the watch at the moment, it feels. Um, kind of like we're ready to create some really cool things, but there's just little roadblocks in the way. I mean, from my own kind of personal motivations, the the one thing I would like to see would be like an interactive complication. So when I look at my watch face at the moment, my complications are almost just like shortcuts to apps. Uh, I mean, like some of them show some data, like my weather one shows me the weather data, but most of my other complications, they don't do an awful lot except jump me into an app. It seems like that's kind of missing the point a, a little bit. So what I would like is the ability to interact with a complication a little bit more via the watch screen. So example might be you've got a a shopping list and being able to see the next item on your shopping list appear in that complication would be really cool. So you could just quickly glance at your watch face while you're, you know, going around the supermarket, but then crucially having the ability to check off that item from the watch face without going into the app would be pretty cool. And then the next item just bubbles up into the complication. And then that got me thinking, well, maybe that could dovetail with quite a, a, highly requested feature which is third party watch faces now when i when i first started thinking about watch faces being made by third parties i kind of thought of them just being a bit gimmicky to start with but actually maybe there could be like a, an overcast third party watch face which kind of is designed with the playback of, of podcasts in mind and then maybe if for like my new app i'm working on which is like a notes slash task manager maybe i could have a watch face for that app which does way more than a single complication could because obviously you've got more real estate, but then you could design the complications that are in use on that watch face more specifically to be tailored to your app. Yep. Which then got me thinking, <laughs> is there a, is there some way that AI could play a role in this, in that it could dynamically switch between watch faces based on your activity? So when I, when I look at my watch now, my default watch face is the, uh, what's it called? Uh, the modular watch face. But then at roughly the same time every day, I take the dog for a walk and I listen to podcasts usually on the same day each week roughly at the same time we do the grocery shopping so yeah. when I'm out walking could the phone slash watch depending on which one does the processing in this case figure out that oh okay so it's nine in the morning um, I'm detecting movement and I can see the airpods have been taken out of their case <laughs> can I just quickly <laughs> pop up the overcast watch face and have the next podcast queued up ready to go and then when it's the day that it's shopping day and it detects I've got in the car and connects to Bluetooth, it's like, oh yeah, it's about that time and probably off to do the shopping. So let's get the, uh, let's get the first item in the supermarket loaded up into the, uh, into the complication and maybe switch to a watch face specific to the, uh, the shopping list app I'm using. So I think there's, there's so much that could be done with the Apple watch. And I think it's quite easy to look at it and be like, oh, well, you yeah, know, it's just a, just a silly toy. But I think when it, when it can start doing stuff like that, when it can start, predicting what you're going to be doing a little bit more, being more dynamic, being more of an assistant, being the right, sort of bubbling the right things to the watch face at the right time, I think it can become quite a compelling device. I mean, there's quite an increased narrative, I think, in the last couple of years of Apple Watch that focuses around health and fitness, and I think that's really great. But I'm not really into the Apple Watch for those reasons. So if I can see it become more dynamic and its ability to change its appearance based on my activity... I think that'd be great. I mean, Apple quite often says when sort of looking at the Mac, iPad, iPhone, that, you know, you, you choose the right device for the right moment. Yeah. And I guess I'm kind of what I'm trying to get at is I'd like to see the right complication or the right watch face 
for the right moment. Um, I think that would be awesome. I, I could really see that working quite well. I mean, I suppose a halfway house would be, rather than going down the whole watch face model that I've just described, you could maybe elect one of your complications to become a dynamic complication. So like the sort of big one in the middle of the screen on the modular watch face, which I currently have the weather on. Um, if I yep. could kind of designate that as a dynamic complication, whereby if the watch thinks I'm about to do an activity such as take a walk or go shopping, it can swap that out, swap the weather out for the most appropriate complication it thinks at the time. Yeah, that might be uh, might be a bit less harsh in some ways, like, you know, yeah. sort of a, a gentle kind of thing. And I think there's also, also a bit of a model for that already uh, back on iOS in terms of handover. Um, you know, when you've got, got the icon there of the thing you've most recently used on the other device. Um, oh, yeah. The, yep. So I, I would see, you know, having having a, that sort of thing there for you on your watch face if you want it. You know, it's, it's kind of that sort of um, handover for the watch. Uh, but I think the AI that you're describing having something more intelligent and that sort of um, kind of decisioning engine behind it as well to sort of say, okay, what's the next best thing that I do? Um, that could be really quite powerful. And I'd like to see more of that in general, to be honest. Yeah, so I, I'd like to see the AI within all of Apple's products sort of improve and become um, just that bit more useful over time. And I, th- I think we'll get that, actually. Um, I think all the, the advances sort of within uh, uh, ML and all the subsystems and things they've got anyway, I, I think are kind of heading that way. Do you think that will dovetail so, in with Siri or will it be separate to Siri? I always think it will dovetail with Siri um, because I sort of see Siri um, as being kind of the personality of, of um, Apple's AI manifest, right? Yeah. So it, there was um, a keynote, I think maybe maybe two years ago now, uh, maybe 2016's one, um, where every time Apple referred to AI or um, machine learning in any sense, it sort of seemed to be synonymous with, with Siri. And I think some of that was because it was Siri's, Siri was the, the the main capability that they had that represented any of this at the time. Um, but I remember sort of thinking about it afterwards and sort of feeling like, well, it's almost like uh, the ghost in the machine for Apple that represents its AI is Siri. You know, that is the personality. Yeah, no, I think um, I think these advancements and, and any sort of tweaks and progression in AI. I would certainly see it as coming very naturally to Siri. And I think it would just be a case of, well, you know, of course Siri now behaves like this. You know, if other parts of the OS have got these things in or whatever as well. Yeah. I did wonder if we'd see like a burn down of Siri and a complete rebuild. But I think that's such a big problem or such a big, you know, a big task. I, I just can't see it happening this year. Could be wrong, but I think maybe we might get another couple of intents added. So, um, Maybe you could ask Siri to play a podcast in your favorite podcast player. So, yeah, like, say Marco of Overcast could uh, code Overcast so that you can then give it commands via, via Siri, because at the moment you just can't do that. I think it's limited to certain sort of areas, isn't it? Um, yes. I think yes, at, the, it at the time it was like you could do it with, like, Lyft sharing apps and other various things. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice if they built something special from the ground up, but I think it's just so far off my radar right now just based on how much of a huge task it would be, coupled with my kind of confidence in Apple to be able to deliver it as well. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I thought about the iPad as well, in terms of WWDC. 
but I just don't use it enough to make a decent call on it. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on it, but I, I guess in the abstract, I would just like to see, uh, I'd like to see it become more of its own OS, sort of iPad OS, yes. rather than a, a tweaked version of iOS. And when I say iOS, I kind of, it's kind of like iPhone OS. It feels like the iPhone gets like the canonical version of iOS, and the iPad receives a tweaked version. I'd like to see it. I'd like to see them just get a little bit crazy in a way, just by you know, sort of redefining the iPad as its own thing. Um, although I'm probably not in the best position to <laughs> make calls on what that should look like. Um, no, I'd be up for that as well. Um, I think the changes made for iPad last year were, were great. You know, like um, the way applications dock and everything else there. But um, yeah, it feels like they could still do more. Um, and, and I think, like yourself, I, I would suggest that that needs to be thinking about iPad as its own OS rather than just sort of iOS plus. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Again, I think we keep coming back to it with with like ideas for sort of marzipan and, and um, whatever's going on with that. But I think whatever is going on there in terms of, of, of frameworks for, for UI and that side of stuff, I think that that when that is leveled out and sorted, whatever that is, I don't think it's just about making it easy to bring apps to Mac OS. I think it might actually also be about making it easier to make, bring apps to iPad as well. Um, because it's not hard to do that today to bring an iOS app to the iPad. You know, I, I think the barrier of entry is extremely low, but making an app that works really nicely on the iPad um is another level you know i mean you can take your iphone app and just scale it up and go okay that's job done you know there's there's a navigation bar and these things are all the way over here and all the way over there and i don't really need to care about it you know it looks yeah. awful on the the biggest ipad and but you know who cares about those guys they're a fragment of the market um i think there's more that could be done um so I'd, it'd be nice to see the os sort of enforcing some of that and I guess kind of presenting um, a stronger sort of design ethic for iPad is probably what I'd ask for. Mm. I think I'd like to see um, default apps as well becoming more of a thing. Uh, just like, it, say if someone uses Chrome for iOS or a third-party calendar, it'd be nice uh, if they could behave almost in the same way that like Safari currently behaves as the default web browser. I think that'd be quite cool. I suppose another couple of odds and ends I've got are... Um, free trials and paid upgrades that'd be a that'd be welcome uh yes please better app store search as well maybe <laughs> just saying yeah on the subject of the app store as well i think i'd like to see the new app store design just rolled back slightly and what i mean by that is i mean i like the way they've been doing more sort of curation and editorial work but i think i'd like to see a little bit more information density so a little bit more can be shown on the screen at once it just feels a little bit too just kind of big, if I'm making sense. Yeah, it's the equivalent of sort of looking for what you want in um, magazine editorials uh, rather than being able to just kind of window shop. Yeah, it's like when you go to the main home screen, you kind of got the, the, the cards that go up and it's like maybe if we could get a little bit more information on the screen as opposed to just like one and a half cards or something like that. Yeah, and I dread to think how it looks on like the, uh, the 5S and that sort of form factor as well. Um, I imagine that you know, it kind of ends up being quite limited. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, with you on that one. A small one for me would actually be, I'd like to see handwriting recognition um, delivered as a default API 
um, over on iPad with the pencil. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I, there are apps that have it. Um, I would like, as a developer, I'd like to be able to just kind of go, oh, yeah, can we just have a, a handwriting view or whatever over here? You know, and it, it generates me text in the same way as uh, as a, just a normal text field. And also as a user as well, that's got to be great because as a user, you know, wherever you're going to do handwriting recognition, it's going to be the same throughout the system. You're not relying on one developer's implementation. Yeah, exactly. And I don't, I don't know what that looks like. You know, and could it, it could even just be some sort of custom keyboard or, or, or something like that. You know, but I, I'd like that kind of flexibility because I mean, you, you're talking about the potential of making a a note writing um, app and an app sort of based around that that sort of stuff. If I if I want to use it on my iPad, I would really love to be able to just use the pencil because writing with the pencil feels for certain types of activities so much more natural than just sort of noodling about with the software keyboard. Another one that is potentially out there, uh, as all of mine now feel like they perhaps are, but <laughs> um, a 3D scanning API uh, for the iPhone X sensor array and or dual cameras. Okay. So I feel like the technology is kind of getting to a point where um, it's possible to, to create um, point clouds from the depth information that's coming through. Um, you know, for the phones that have got uh, dual cameras, which I believe is the 7 Plus, the 8 Plus, and the, the 10. Yep. Um, and then obviously you've got all the um, the information coming from the sensor array on the front-facing um, setup on the iPhone 10 as well. It feels to me like it's possible to take that information and actually start making 3D representations of what you're you're seeing there. I don't know too much about the technicality and whether there's sort of, you know, big problems with that and that's actually technically really difficult i imagine it probably is reasonably difficult <laughs> I, I would um, guess. But <laughs> yeah but if it's not impossible i would love to see a, a framework built around it that wraps it up um that iterates it and kind of turns it into something that again apple gives us for free um that i can then just sort of leverage you know i, I want um i want the potential of 3d scanning being as, as easy as just getting your phone out and running it around an object and it, it builds that object up for you on, on the screen as you do so. It'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it, if you could make game assets like that as well? Uh, exactly. Uh, you know, even if they're not actually that good, but maybe that's the point of the game. Just like scanning you know, real-world objects and then being able to yeah. put that in as a resource. Yeah. So so your, your kid scans their favourite toy and then you turn it into um, you know a Tamagotchi. Yeah. Or, or whatever there's so much power that will come from that and i think it will enable sort of the next step with uh with ar kits and all of those sort of things as well i think having scanning off the off the phone without hassle you know i just put the camera on and i'm able to, to 3d scan and it, and it gives me something that i can then bring into scene kits or, or wherever um I, th- I think the power there would be awesome so what have you got left on your list I'd like to see a look at the Mac Pro, if possible. Really? I know it's probably still really early days. Um, and I know WWDC is, you know, traditionally not so much about the hardware, although we did have um, the, the trash can Mac Pro was announced at WWDC, wasn't it? So mm. um, I'd like an update. I, I don't really care whether it's not a lot or, or you know, um, there's, there's really perhaps not a full narrative yet but i'd love to have a, a window into that world and sort of see what's going on see i feel like we kind of had that when uh is it matthew panzerino went out there uh, a couple of months back 
and basically yeah. was told that the Mac Pro isn't a 2018 product, it's a 2019 product. I kind of feel like that was them being like, don't get your hopes up like for WWDC yeah. or anything. I mean, I share, I share your, I share your right. desire, but I, yeah. I think it's very unlikely. Um, I'd like to see some MacBooks, if I'm being perfectly yeah. honest. And I'd like to see an, a, a bit of a view into what's going on with like um, ARM chips and that side of stuff. It'd be nice to have a bit of direction from Apple um, because the rumors sort of came out, you know, okay, 2020, everything's going ARM. Um, but I'd like to see sort of a more official roadmap and kind of what that looks like. Because it's got to have some sort of impact back to developers and it's it's got to be tied up into whatever the narrative is around Mac OS and what's going on there. If they if they told us next year, 2019, do you think yeah. that's not giving us enough time? Or is that they need to tell us this year? I think there's a road a roadmap here. I think there's a journey. I think it involves whatever's going on with, with um, uh, Martin Pan and that sort of stuff. Um I think it's actually tied into this broader journey of the Mac from, you know, being actually quite an established platform and, and, and everything else, you know, it's almost uh, a bit of a done deal in, in what the Mac is now. And I mm. think what the Mac is going to be is potentially not that far removed from where it is, but I think there's a journey there for devs to sort of go on. Um, I might be wrong, you know, it might just be, are we getting ARM chips and everything stays the same? <laughs> you never know. Uh, yeah. But I doubt it, and I sort of feel like um, we should be seeing the sort of beginnings of that journey this year, even if the chips are way away, you know? Yeah. I, I think, like, the, the building blocks are on their way. I'd definitely like to see some new MacBooks. Um, I mean, I was, again, thinking recently about the possibility of ditching the iMac and moving to a MacBook, just for kind of lifestyle reasons that have changed recently here. Um, but then I thought, no, actually, I don't want one of these laptops that break. <laughs> no, there's, there's a lot to be sorted there. I don't. I'd be constantly worried that I, I've made like a lousy purchase, and it's so sad to see the state of like the Apple laptop range being like that. Um, like the whole keyboard's breaking. I mean, didn't you say you had a key that was getting a bit weird? And yes, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, my my S key and my command key are showing signs of wear. Yeah, it's tragic. I mean, the machine's like you know nine and a half months in use. Yeah, and I I admit you know I'm a heavy typer, <laughs> but. My 2013 uh, MacBook Pro, that's absolutely fine on the older keyboard. And that's had, you know, getting on for nearly five years worth of use. So, And aside mm. from the keyboards, you've got like the whole confused lineup with the MacBook Air being there, kind of getting in the way of things. I mean, I think to basically summarize what I'd like to see is fixed keyboards on all the MacBooks. I think there should be a 12-inch MacBook that currently, like it currently is, maybe with a spec bump a 13-inch MacBook, which takes the same form as the 12-inch MacBook, but it's just stretched lightly, maybe with a second USB-C port, and then a 13-inch MacBook Pro and a 15-inch MacBook Pro. Both the Pros yep. have touch bars, and the MacBook Air gracefully fades away. I think that's what needs to happen, personally. I think we've discussed before that I'd like to sort of see the MacBook Air sort of live on in a new form. Um, but, yeah, I'd be happy with the lineup kind of you know making a lot more sense. Because today it sort of feels really quite all over the place. It would be nice if off the back of, of, of everything with the keynote, we saw some hardware and we saw a bit of sort of, uh, like you say, kind of a streamlining of the, the offering. Um, and it would, I think it definitely feels like there should be new machines as well, just to sort of get beyond this current state of affairs with uh, dodgy keyboards and all of that. Yeah. Um, 
they need to be able to sort of say, okay, if you get the 2017 model, uh, it's not going to break. It's yeah. not going to have this problem. I mean, they, you know, obviously you're never going to make that full guarantee, but yeah, at the moment I've, I've seen people talking on Twitter about looking for older machines. I've seen people downgrading to move away from these machines. I've seen people in protracted arguments with Apple stores about $400 repairs uh, people saying, oh, you should always have Apple Care because that sorts all of this. Well, no, not really. Not not for something um, that, that is happening on machines this new. You know what I mean? Like, you shouldn't be relying on, on having a, a warranty for your keyboard because you might be out of that first year of cover or whatever it is that you have. That, that just doesn't feel right for me. Um, yeah. Certainly not when we've never needed to worry in that way before. Um, so yeah, I hope we see machines that kind of sort of set all that to rest and, and sort of let things move forwards a bit. It's interesting because, you know, on one hand we're thinking we're not going to get marzipan. On the other hand, we're sort of thinking new hardware would be nice, but WWDC typically isn't a hardware based show. Yep. So there's, uh, there's quite a lot of questions surrounding the keynote, I think. So it's going to be, it's going to be very, very interesting to see what they do actually show us. Cause at the moment it's kind of like, don't really know. <laughs> Yep. So uh, on that note, we're just going to have to wait and see. Um, and I'll catch up with you as quickly as I can after the keynote, I think, and we'll, we'll see if we can put out a quick show. Okay, we'll call that a wrap. If you've enjoyed today's show, it'd be great if you could leave us a review on iTunes or if you could leave us a recommendation in Overcast by hitting that star button, that will help us reach even more like-minded people. Um, also, we have our Slack channel. We'd love to invite you to join. Our hope is it can be a really great place for fellow developers to come and hang out. If you'd like to join, uh, just leave us a message on Twitter at WFR Podcast, and we'll get you signed up. So, Dave, before we run off, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at DWRoboHeads. That's RoboHeads spelled with a Z. And you can find my apps at RoboHeads.com. Again, that's RoboHeads spelled with a Z. How about you, Dave? Yeah, you can find my remote control for Cody at armchair-remote.com, my latest app to help kids learn to read. You can find at spacereaders.com and on Twitter, I'm at underscore Dave Knott. 